0: You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. I am your host, Brendan Clean. I'm a credentialed media member covering the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation as well as Dime Magazine. Follow me on Twitter at Brendan Clean14. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On PHX Suns. The draft is just days away, but I want to talk about free agency because, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, this is the most exciting time of the year. Four transactions and the NBA did not give us a lot of time between the two dates this year. That means that free agency effectively starts before I'm going to be able to do another show for you guys. So I want to do one last draft show on Thursday morning. Happy Wednesday today. We're going to take this day to do free agency pretty much everything, top to bottom. I'm getting you ready for what you need to know about free agency. I'm recording this a little bit early. Hopefully, no late-breaking rumors will emerge. I don't think that will happen. The Suns tend to play things close to the vest. They tend to move in silence, as I've said before, and I don't think anything will emerge. I think the draft will feature some movement from a lot of other teams, unlikely to be the Suns, which means the weekend into next week is really when the suns will take center stage beginning with chris paul of course so that's where we'll start i want to also take you guys through well all the chris paul pathways including one you probably haven't heard so we'll get to five different things that could happen with chris paul resigning the rest of the roster filling out the backup spots and the depth pieces who i like there i'll give you plenty of names and then trade options are there any trades the suns could make I actually think it's more potential than you might, just based on how the roster looks and the fact that Dario Saric is hurt. I still think there are some things the Suns could do, so more and more and more names as we get through this, including on the trade market. First, though, a quick reminder, tomorrow night, Thursday night during the NBA draft, the GOAT draft analyst himself, Chad Ford, as well as Rafael Barlow, who joined this show on Tuesday, and Locked On NBA host John Corrales will be live covering the NBA Draft from the WFAA studios in Dallas, Texas, in a nice, fancy studio. So, not very many studio shows going on on NBA Draft Night that you can check out for yourself. We have one, brought to you by Bill Bar, 7 p.m. Eastern. Those guys breaking it down on the main desk. Local experts, just like myself, giving you the breakdown on each pick from their team's angle. It's going to be fantastic. You should check it out right on the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Okay, let's get to Chris Paul. There's a lot to jump to, so I don't want to waste any more time. Chris Paul obviously is priority number one. I talked last week a little bit about what to believe and not to believe. I still believe that his most likely scenario is that he comes back here. $44.2 million option, so that's number one, is that he um, leaves, opts out of that $44.2 million and leaves I don't think that that's realistic, so let's get that one out of the way. Only the Knicks and the Mavericks are teams that I see with legitimate cap space potential that actually are enticing teams. I mean, the Thunder, these other Detroit, those teams are not gonna be where Chris Paul goes. I see it as the Knicks and the Mavs. I don't see him going to either one of those places, moving further away from his family, going to teams that are further from title contention than the Suns are, and I just don't see a sign-and-trade with the Heat or the Lakers being all that enticing for him or for the Suns either for that matter. So I don't see it happening. That's number one. I really think it's the most pretty high percentage. I'd put it at you know, 75, 80% that he does remain here. So let's go through the other four things that could happen that include him staying here. Opting out of that 44.2 million and signing a short, pretty expensive new contract with the Suns. I think that's sort of the, the number one thing on most NBA fans' mind. That's sort of the obvious option, right? You hear Kyle Lowry, who was already the market for a deal like this after his three-year and $90 million deal in the past. Now he seems to potentially be in the market for another deal just like that. So I think that's around the range you would be thinking about for Chris Paul there. You know, two years, $60 million something around that range, three years, 90, three years, 100. I don't think you probably go higher than 35 million, but I think it could get that high because there is at least enough of a market with that cap space around the league that he can ask for more. He can point to Kyle Lowry, who whose agents are already doing a pretty good job getting that leverage and getting that number out there. On behalf of Lowry, Chris is a better player coming off of a better season, and Lowry was hurt a lot of last year. So that's going to be the, the market. David Nash, Had it in his newsletter, The Four Point Play, that if you give Chris 30 million, just flat 30, and the maximum allowable for Cameron Payne, which we'll go over in segment two, then you're gonna be 5.7 million over the tax. So things start to get expensive under this option, number two, what we'll call it. And another note here that I thought was interesting if you're thinking about the tax, which will be a theme throughout the show today just getting through all the different variations and a lot of them have to do with the Suns going into the tax. Bobby Marks of ESPN in his write-up on the Suns offseason had it that the Suns actually did pay the tax in 2009-2010 which I did not realize. I guess I would have guessed potentially just with Richardson and Amare and Nash all on veteran contracts and, and the rest but that surprised me. So we have seen it in the recent past that when a team is close or has another couple of runs left in it Robert Sarver will do that. I also think there's the reality that if if it is a short contract, Chris Paul gets off the books relatively quickly, and then you're back to having some more flexibility. So it's not this type of team where everybody's 25 and they're all on max contracts. That's where you run into some trouble. The Warriors had some of those problems. It's not quite that dire, even if Paul signs this type of deal. Okay, number three, Chris Paul plays out the final year of his contract at $44.2 million. I don't see it very likely because, look, this guy's coming off an all-NBA second team. He got MVP votes. He was somebody's uh, several national personalities sleeper pick for an NBA MVP award and obviously had the finals run with several incredible performances. So his value's at its absolute peak. I think it would frankly be pretty dumb for Chris Paul to allow his contract to expire. You never know what is going to happen when you test the market in that way, bet on yourself in that way. And I just don't see it with Paul being the age that he is at 36 and coming off such a tremendous season, you need to cash in. Now, I don't see him opting into slash playing out that final year of his contract. Okay, number four, Chris Paul signs an extension built onto the current contract. So again, a tip of the hat to David Nash. This is also somebody, something that I talked with a, um, a cap person at an agency about who I am, and, you know, chat with about these things, and, and it was an option that he liked the best. I think it's sort of the, um, the 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 sleeper, the dark horse option that that makes a lot of sense for a, a few reasons. One is Chris can make that $44.2 million that he's entitled to. He signed a contract that had the opportunity to make that much money in a season, which is much earned after a long career and all the moving around and, and everything he had to do to get that contract, but... You could also then add multiple years after that to still get to that 90 or 100 million dollar framework. So just throwing it out there, I I don't want to be boring with the exact numbers and and I have to admit calculating all of that out is not my strong suit, so it would take me longer than I want to take. But you could think about it as if it's still 90 million over three years, but that 44 is sliced off the top right in that first season next year, then you're looking at a, a situation where the next two seasons could be, you know, 24 and 21 million or somewhere within that range. And you're saving a ton of money on the back end. That's obviously when Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton's extensions kick in. And the team starts to get particularly expensive after next season. So if you were able to front load it in that way where Chris makes forty-four million next year while the team is still relatively cheap, and then escalate it or de-escalate it down to that twenty to twenty five million range the next two seasons, I think that's really tasty. And I think it really makes a lot of sense for both sides because Chris is able to still cash in on that final season, but and get the 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 long term security of not worrying about if he's going to make another contract get another contract but he also um, is able to help the team out a little bit by saying all right I understand that the team's about to get a little bit more expensive I'll scratch your back as well last but not least um, Chris Paul this one was brought up by the same source so to speak not a source not close to the Suns not close to Chris Paul just a person in the league that I was talking with that he he brought up that, that I had not heard out there so you you only get this one at locked on suns but i think um it's probably l- less likely but it's along the same lines as the one we just talked about with the ex- with the extension off of the current contract and it is that chris paul could opt out and sign a long-term deal so not the shorter you know 3 year 100 million dollar deal to really you know pump the gas into his last couple of seasons but longer than that which is risky obviously for a guy who's 36 and You know, has had injury problems throughout his career. I don't think this is my favorite plan, but you could have it be where the money is even less over a longer amount of time. So if we're still sticking with that 90 price range, but over five years, then you're talking about 18 million per year annually on average, and that's pretty enticing for obvious reasons. You're getting that number down even more to where you're still more flexible, potentially able to get under the tax this year, have more room to sign Bridges and Eaton to their extensions, Cam Johnson to his extension the next season, and feel pretty comfortable with that. So that one is interesting, probably less likely, but worth noting nevertheless. I did want to note Flex from Jersey, our guy on ninety-eight-seven uh, 98.7 postgame shows on Twitter, who I will, I just have to say, like, he's a guy that has gotten a lot of this stuff right, not obviously a, a credential journalist, not a you know, a guy who's coming in and writing reports every day, but give the guy his due. He has gotten a lot of this stuff right. And he has said that there is potentially a deal already in place that would allegedly provide flexibility for the Suns, is, is what Flex's tweet said. I don't know how much to buy in that. I obviously don't have that report on my own. Otherwise, I would have said so. Um So it's just worth noting that that could be somewhere we already are. And that was on Monday. I'm recording this Monday and putting it in the can. So if anything breaks, I will scrap this. No one will hear it, but I will obviously update you as needed. I just think that's worth noting as we stand currently. Okay, next let's get to, get to campaign, Tory Craig and how to fill out the bench. Maybe some veteran ring chasers that the Suns could actually have a crack at that might not have been options in the past. First though, quick word from Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet, my favorite protein bar. And look, I've had to slum it lately. I have run out of built bars. I've not made my first, my next order because I'm dumb because I don't know what's good for me, but I've been having to scrap and find the backup plan. And let me tell you, it's not good. It is not as good. I do miss the Bill bar. And I am, as I'm saying this, realizing I just need to get off my butt and go order one because they're delicious and they get you what you need. 17 to 18 grams of protein, just 180 calories at the absolute max. Many are less than that and only four to five grams of sugar. They taste just like a candy bar. They're all covered in 100% chocolate, but they are packed with protein and they do not break your diet with the sugar or the calories. Really a miracle, really a magic trick that they've played. To try yours, Try your favorite flavor again. Maybe try something new. Go to built.com. Use the promo code locked on when you make your purchase to get 15% off your order. Next order, not first order. You can double dip, triple dip, quadruple dip with this promo. Again, that's promo code locked on for 15% off at built.com. Okay, let's dive in to the rest of this roster. We've covered Chris Paul. I think the takeaway here is the Suns can run it back. They can run it back and get better even if things continue to go well um in terms of the players that obviously this season played well doing that again and there's enough flexibility this season. I do think this season is somewhat of a one year all in sort of moment for this team, but that's fine because they were a game and a half away whatever you want to call it from an NBA championship and they have the means to retain all of those players and get a little bit better. So let's dive in. Cameron Payne, the maximum that the Suns can offer him is about 10.7 million. That gets finalized at some point heading into free agency when the teams get all the official numbers. But it's an it's basically an average of all the other players at his position, etc. It's the average for starters, is what I mean to say. And so that'll get finalized. It's about 10.7 million dollars. Has to be a minimum of two years. There can be no options on that second year so just minimum two year straight deal that would be a contract roundabout of 2 years 21.9 million or 3 years 33.7 million players don't really sign four year deals five year deals unless it's a max these days so i think that's really all that you need to know frankly i think that's a fair contract even if it even if it goes all the way there which i'm honestly not sold on because if you watched the Woj Lowe special on ESPN or, or listened to it on his podcast, Zach Lowe, it really got my gears turning as far as how just how many point guards there are on the market this year that are honestly, I love Cameron Payne, I think the Suns should sign him, but they're they're just clearly better players than him and even they are going to struggle to find a new home or to get the absolute maximum amount of money that they can because there's just... A bigger supply than there is demand. Derrick Rose, Mike Conley, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Lowry, who we already talked about. Obviously, Chris Paul himself, Dennis Schroeder. There are so many point guards. And Payne, obviously, and not to mention Reggie Jackson. Payne is obviously at the lower end of that. He's a backup. He didn't show enough to make anyone, I don't think, see him as a starter. So I don't know if even the Suns will have their hand forced to go all the way up to that 10.7, but even if they do, that is on the high end of a backup point guard, but we know he can play with Chris Paul. We know he can play with Devin Booker, with DeAndre Ayton. He's not a pure backup. He plays a lot of minutes. He excelled in the playoffs. He can score. He does things that no one else on this Suns team can do. You got to sign him. You have to re-sign him. It's going to make you into the luxury tax to keep him and Chris Paul. It is what it is. This is a great team. You want to keep it together. Okay, Torrey Craig, I think he's a minimum player. I've seen people saying, you know, he's proven himself. He's earned more. I don't think so. I disagree. He played well for Denver. And yes, he got exposed a little bit against LeBron James in the conference finals, but he played really well and did everything you would want a player in that role to be able to do. Got minutes in the playoffs, all of that. They moved on anyway, and all he could find was a minimum with Milwaukee and then was promptly traded for nothing. That's what just happened with Torrey Craig. Did he prove a little bit more staying on the floor for a finals team this year? Sure. Sure. But if someone like Jeff Green has trouble making more than the minimum over and over and over in consecutive off seasons, then Craig will too. To me, if that's all true, if I'm right and I think I am, Torrey Craig's a great option at the minimum and the Sun should move on though if he gets a bigger offer. I don't think he, the market just dictates that you can probably find a player like this, some of whom I'm going to tell you in just a second. Others might be in a trade in the next segment who are just as good Maybe not quite as big as Torrey Craig on the wing, but do everything else that he has. Okay, next. Langston Galloway and Etoine Moore. Those are both no's for me. I think you need more size at every position in the NBA. You should always be looking for size. Etouan Moore has that in some ways, but is is on the older end. It looks like his athleticism is gone. And he really got exposed in some of those moments when Chris Paul was out and he had to play against the Clippers. Against the Lakers, younger, more athletic players, bigger players, he just physically doesn't hold up. So you need a player who has more size, but also still has the shooting. I don't think you really need to worry about the playmaking. I understood the idea of Etuan more when you weren't sure what campaign was going to look like. You weren't sure what Chris Paul was necessarily going to look like, but that's less of a need. I think you should be looking for guys that, look, they can handle, they can move the ball, but they're not really a point guard and they're bigger and they can shoot. Um, We'll have some options coming up. It's the same reason to me that I'll get into in the last segment about why they should look pretty hard at trading Javon Carter. Okay, so if I'm saying potentially no to Torrey Craig, no to Langston Galloway, no to Etuan Moore, I think everyone who listens to this show knows I'm a no on Frank Kaminsky. Okay, well then who are they going to sign, right? That's the obvious thing. Let me quickly just hit on how they can sign players, and then we'll talk about who they can sign. Because again, I told you, I think they can mostly run it back with the key pieces but maybe get even a little bit better. Here's how they can do that. Okay, taxpayer mid-level of $5.8 million. So obviously last season, Jay Crowder came in on the regular mid-level, which was over the cap, but under the tax, $9.7 million. Not gonna have that this year because they will probably be a tax team. $5.8 million is their new exception. They also have the biannual exception. In most scenarios, there are some scenarios where they spend so much money on Paul and Payne and Craig and whoever on their current roster that they get capped out of spending the biannual exception. But let's just assume that they can not sp- uh, spend it. That's $3.8 million. They obviously have minimums. Everybody in the league has minimums. Those don't count against the cap. They're just the way you fill out the rest of your roster. Lastly, a hat tip to David Nash once again of the Four Point Play newsletter who pointed out that if Stario is actually deemed out for all of the 21-22 season, the Suns could apply for a disabled player exception of about $4.2 million to spend on a replacement. That would be very nice. A lot of this just depends on how much Robert Sarver is able to pay. Because if you're over the tax line, then every single extra dollar that you take on, even if the league gives you these ways of using that money, it's just extra tax Bill at the end of the season. We'll have to see how willing Robert Sarver is to go that high on the money. Here's who the Suns should sign, though, because I want to give you as many names as possible. Like I said, guards. This is just cursory. Feel free to reply to me with any other names on your mind because I definitely don't think I have all of them. Okay, Mike James of the Nets, a return of one of the most unlikely playoff minute getters in the entire NBA in 2021. 20, uh, 2021. I couldn't tell you how this guy was staying on the floor, but he looked a lot better than he did when he was a son several seasons ago. And I think he's a legitimate backup scoring guard option. I don't think he has the size that I was talking about. He is more of that playmaker, small playmaker, but he can shoot as well. Raul Neto or Howell Neto. I think he had a really underrated season for the Wizards. He's another guy who you could imagine playing with Payne, Paul, and Booker as part of multi-guard lineups. Tyler Johnson, another return by way of Brooklyn, and Brad Wanamaker. All of those are on the smaller side. I would say Neto is probably my favorite. Wings, I have Ben McLemore, Sterling Brown, David Nwaba, all three of whom were Rockets at one point or another this season. Uh, Semi Ojale, Sfi Mikhailuk. George Niang and Kent Bazemore. I would lean toward the second half of that list in terms of size. I think Ben McLemore is sort of just a Langston Galloway type. I think Sterling Brown is not really a player who can stay on the floor, just a little bit undersized, can't quite do enough offensively. David Nwaba, another player, has never really stuck with the team. I think he can't really do enough on either end, another guy that's a little bit undersized on the wing. So the rest would be. Ojale, who I actually think is a decent option, especially if you're losing Craig. He's just big physical, can put him out there on defense and, you know, buy some possessions. Svi is a shooter, but he has a better size than some of these other guys. Niang is actually an unrestricted free agent from Utah, who I really like. I think they're going to try to sign him, but they're also losing a lot of players. They have a lot of outstanding balance on their roster. Guys that are going to be up for grabs, one of whom I'll talk about later in the show. Um, and... Kent Bazemore is probably my favorite on the wing list. He was actually underrated for the Warriors, able to stay on the floor for that team even when they went veteran, went experienced and tried to win at the end of the season. He looked pretty good in that play-in game. I think he's a guy who you can at least count on to make shots, defend enough. He's short as well. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's a little smaller than you'd like at a forward spot, but I think he's pretty good. Last, Dwayne Dedman. Trey Lyles, who I think is an interesting one, he is underperformed, hasn't really gotten a lot of minutes, so I don't know if there will be a market for him, I think you could get him pretty cheap on either, you know, one of those exceptions, or even potentially a minimum, Blake Griffin, I don't really buy it necessarily, I feel like he's going to go back to the Nets, and JaVale McGee, and I like JaVale McGee, probably the best out of that group, Lyles is interesting, but he's more of a charge type, he's not really a five, he doesn't really solve that problem for you. So all in all, there's a ton of players there. There's a lot of guys who we saw play in the playoffs this year, play heavy minutes for their regular season teams, but you could get pretty cheap. I think a lot of it just depends on how attractive the Suns really are and how much playing time they can promise in addition to, again, is Robert Sarver gonna not only spend over the tax to keep the guys on the roster, but how much past that is he going to be willing to go? Are the Suns gonna have, is James Jones gonna have the green light to use that taxpayer mid-level? Is he gonna have the green light to apply for that DPE for Dario Sharage if he's able to and try to spend that extra 4.2 million I think it's unlikely I think we should just be probably rooting for Sarver to open the piggy bank for the roster to run it back but I do think there's talent out there that can play better than Moore better than Galloway better than Kaminsky that could really help them they have to get they have to get that backup big McGee Griffin Dwayne Dedman Trey Lyles there's other names Ken Birch um, Gorgie Jang. I think both of those guys are gonna stay on their current teams, but they have to do that. The rest of it would be very nice to see. And I think teams will, I think players will want to come to this team after what we just saw them do. Okay, let's close out the show with trade options involving not only Javon Carter, not only potentially Dario Saric, which would be kind of cold-blooded, but you have to explore, but even potentially Jay Crowder and Jalen Smith. I'm gonna just survey the entire landscape. Get you some trade options as we head toward this weekend's free agency extravaganza. But first, a quick word from Rock Auto. The ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. It's pretty impossible to walk into a dealership these days and count on getting what you need at a reasonable price. You're not going to be ordering in bulk. You're not going to be ordering ahead of time or any of this like a dealership or a... Professional mechanic might be able to do. No, you're kind of subject to whatever those people behind the counter tell you. So it's pretty crappy. Rock Auto is there to save it though, because they've been doing this forever. They've been serving do it yourselfers like me and you for years, over 20 to be exact. They have a fluid, consistent, easy to use online platform where you can save as much as. 50, or even 100% on the same parts that you would buy at a chain store or car dealership. The best part is you don't even need an account or a subscription to log on and buy. Just click into rockauto.com, scroll down to the landing page for your car or truck, pick what you need, click buy, and it's at your door in days. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs by going to rockauto.com. Seeing all the parts available for your car or truck and when you make your purchase writing Locked On in there. How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Closing out the show on the trade market. I don't think it's terribly, I don't think it's the most likely option that the Suns get tricky with trades, but we know it's James Jones's preferred method of improving the roster. I think there are contracts that are flippable on this roster and I think it it's going to be a busy offseason for trades. So that's part of why I think that the Suns could get on. Okay, let me get the most pie in the sky crazy one out of the way now and then we can transition to some other options. My dream is Pascal Siakam. I actually think it's decently likely that he could be on the move. I think His relationship with Nick Nurse, I don't know where that currently stands. I think that that team went through hell, frankly, in 2021, playing in Tampa Bay, Florida. Not ideal at all, of course, but they didn't get what they think they were hoping for from Siakam. It doesn't look like he's a superstar. They are in a situation needing to sort of redefine their path, and you can get there with Crowder, Sharich... Jalen Smith and the 2024 first round pick, which is the, basically the first pick that the Suns can trade. And I don't think that's the best package out there for Pascal Siakam, but I think it gets you close because you have a number 10 overall pick from last season and another future first. We already know he can hold up on an elite defense. If he's a third or fourth option on offense, it's pretty good. That's my dream. I don't think it's going to happen. I just want to put it on the record that that would be the A1 top pick great move if that were to materialize. More realistic though, and I want to give a a tip of the hat to Ryan Blackburn of Denver Stiffs. He put together a great list that I borrowed some of these trade targets from, not all of them. Some of them are my own creations, but some of them are from Ryan. So thanks to him. Um, Okay. Daniel House Jr. Another potential reunification. Daniel House, I love more than anything ever. I love Daniel House. I think he's been exposed a little bit, especially on the defensive end. But as far as a wing, if you do lose Tory Craig and you want a veteran who you can trust to come in and play, I think he would fit well with how the Suns like to operate on both ends. And I think he's in that age range where he's in his prime and, and you can count on him. Grayson Allen, problem is he's going to need to be paid, but he is about, makes about the same. All of these, by the way, are basically just using Javon Carter and future seconds. I meant to say that. Grayson Allen, Makes about the same amount of money. You would eventually have to pay him. Maybe you use that asset and flip him again in the future. But a good shooter with decent size, better size than Galloway or Carter, who can at least hold up on defense. Made a lot of big plays in the play-in game for the Memphis Grizzlies that I liked. Decent option. Chetty Osman, he makes a little bit more money, but he's a bigger forward. Not necessarily a replacement for Craig, more so a replacement for you know, Dario Saric or more of that sort of spacing and playmaking option, but gives you a little bit of a different look on the wing if you're getting the big man and the guard from other places. Rodney Magruder, more of a shooter, but again, bigger than Galloway, bigger than Carter, bigger than Moore, and has a a non-guarantee for next season, which can be useful because you can potentially cut him or have some flexibility there if you were to trade for him now. Avery Bradley a little bit, he's he's overpaid. He is a player who seems to only engage when he has a situation that he likes, which I can't necessarily fault him for, but you're running the risk of, well, is the Sun situation one that he likes? And you can't necessarily know that for sure. And he has a team option. So the, the Rockets would have to um, accept that option and have eyes for Javon Carter. That's the other thing about this. I'm not sure what Javon Carter's value is. I think he could play on a team like the Rockets or the Cavs, who, you know, would use his defense and shooting. They don't need a championship level roster. And he's a player who is plenty fine to give 10, 15, 20 minutes to and, and feel okay about it. I think he, him in a second, can get you one of these other guys, these other flotsam type players around the NBA. The last one is DeAndre Bembry. Not so much of a guard option like the rest, but could fill some of that athletic four man Siakam, uh, very, very light. And they're coming from the same team, of course. But Bembry, just that energy, similar to Torrey Craig type of guy as well. Interesting passer, interesting off-the-bounce creator. I think he's a little bit of a wild card, but could be useful in the regular season. Lastly, I think it's just worth imagining. I talked about this a little bit when I was walking you guys through my selection in the Ultimate Mock Draft that we did on the Locked On Network that I was in talks with some of our locked-on hosts of other squads about using Crowder in particular or Charich, but again, that's a little bit cold-blooded, and I don't he obviously doesn't have any positive value right now, so it would really just be for salary reasons, and then you'd be giving up a pick or something else to, to get the value where it needed to be. To get a creator, though, is the point. Crowder or Charich, to get a creating player, a, a playmaker, a scorer off the bench who can give you some of what the Suns were obviously lacking at moments in the finals, especially when it was Devin Booker bailout time or bust. And this all is contingent on either Jalen Smith being a high-level rotation player for you who can lessen the blow of losing a, a Jay Crowder, or counting on some team to be okay taking Sharice which is a long shot in and of itself, but it's also a little bit of a bad look to trade an injured player, and and especially one who has dealt with so much movement and and lack of confidence throughout his career. I think it would kind of suck, but it is is the NBA. This is what happens. If you have an opportunity to improve your roster, even if it does look like that, the guy's going to get his paycheck anyway. The guy is going to get the recovery and and attention he needs medically. So if it works out that you do need to trade Dario Saric, I think it's stomachable, However, the real issue is there's just not a lot of targets here that I can make sense of. One was Buddy Heald. I've talked about that a few times on the show. I think he's pretty much a lock to move to change teams this offseason. I just don't quite think the Suns make a ton of sense. It would have to be Crowder. I think Crowder and Smith gets it done. Um, That's just, frankly a lot. You know, I, t- Crowder and the pick probably doesn't get it done, 29 in this year's draft. So you, you have to stack a lot on top of it. Buddy Heald, I think his decision-making, his buy-in, I think he would be great on a winning team. When the Kings were better, he looked better. When they got worse, I think his sort of commitment to the franchise waned a little bit, which is understandable. I don't love it, but I think that type of player would certainly be pretty exciting, and, and add a whole other dimension to this Suns team that's sorely needed. The other one, I would say, is Eric Gordon. He's starting to float around in some of these rumors and is obviously not really needed in Houston. There, I, I don't see a situation where where he should be playing for the Rockets next season, so he'll be highly sought after, I would imagine, by winning teams who want to try take a try. I don't know where he is physically. I don't know what he has left, but as a scorer, the, the, the many, many years later um, triumphant arrival of Eric Gordon as a Phoenix son would be pretty funny for those of you who remember that um, free agency chase. But he, he, he really could be, you know, not quite as good as Buddy, obviously, but he could give you something. He's big enough to play the wing. I think his defense has always been underrated and he can shoot. So that would be another one. A little more realistic, a little easier to get, but probably also not worth using Jay Crowder to acquire. And that's really the end of where I come down on a lot of this. If you can use Carter or second round picks to get a different player, maybe somebody who's more playable for you, maybe somebody who fits positionally a little bit more, I think that makes sense. But something like Siakam, something even like Heald or Gordon, it's just not realistic. There's a reason that teams tend to run it back after they win a title or come close or make the finals or even the conference finals. It's because it's usually the easiest thing to do. Both for salary cap reasons, you're more likely, more able to keep the players you already have with the way that the cap works, but also it's just the smartest decision for chemistry and continuity reasons. This team was close. Why break something? Why, why fix something that is not broken? Why try to meddle with something that is already pretty damn good on its own? That's where I come down. That's why I did a big show at the end of last week telling you guys that Running it back was the smartest thing to do, and I still feel that way. So that's where I come down. I think some of these smaller trades actually are pretty decently likely to happen. I think you could see some movement on the back end of the roster. I think the Suns definitely will get a backup big man. I think they will probably more likely than not re-sign Chris Paul and Cameron Payne. I think there's a lot of names to fill out the roster that could be even more interesting than the Craig Kaminsky-Galloway-Moore group that we saw this year. And so again, this team can run it back while also getting a little bit better, getting a little bit deeper. And I think that's what you have to root for. They'll also continue to have flexibility. It doesn't all have to happen in the off season. There will be trades. There will be uh, deadline deals and buyout players next season. It's a never ending cycle starting with the draft tomorrow. I will be back with you right after everything is done. Probably wait as long as I can because we know trades and second round picks and draft and stash and all that tend to go down to the wire. So keep an eye out after all of the festivities are over. I will be there. I'll also obviously have a show for you tomorrow morning with the latest updates on what is playing out in the draft, maybe the latest on the Suns, what's going on at 29. Just getting you ready for the draft. But this show was all about the offseason, all about what comes next. I wanted to take the time to break all of that down for you in one place. A lot of names, a lot of possibilities, a lot of options. Hopefully you have everything sorted out in your head. It's going to be fun, guys. I'll be with you all week. I'll be with you all next week. I can't wait. And I know you can't either. Talk soon.